Welcome to Now Appalachia. The Appalachian region covers 13 states in the U.S. and over 25 million people call the region home. This podcast profiles the authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their creative work. And now, here's your host, author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. And hello, friends. We welcome you to another episode of the podcast program, Now Appalachia. This program profiles the outstanding authors and publishers with connections to the Appalachian region and how those influences impact their works. And I'm your host, Elliot Parker. It's great to have you with us. We have an author joining us today who was with us way back when we first started our Now Appalachia program here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and he is back With his latest book, it is called After the Lights Go Out. His name is John Vircher, and we're delighted to have him here. And folks, let me tell you, this is a book that is harrowing, it is spellbinding, and it is a story about um, family. It's about the complications of mixed-race relationships. It's a book about mixed-place loyalties. And more importantly, it's about uh, a story that focuses on the price athletes pay to entertain. And I'm so delighted to have John with us here today. And John Vircher joins us. He lives in Pennsylvania with his wife and two sons. He has a bachelor's degree in English from the University of Pittsburgh and an MFA in creative writing from the Mountain View Master of Fine Arts program. He is a contributing writer for WBUR and NPR, features his essays on race, identity, and parenting quite frequently. His debut novel, which we had him on a couple of years ago to talk about called Three-Fifths, was named as one of the best books of the year by the Chicago Tribune, Crime Reads, and Book List, and it was also nominated for the Edgar Anthony Lefty and Strand Magazine Critics' Choice Awards for Best First Novel. And so we're delighted to have John back with us today to talk to us about his outstanding new book, After the Lights Go Out. So John, welcome back to Now Appalachia. So good to have you back with us today. Thanks, Elliot. Thanks for having me back. I'm so excited to have you here and to have you uh, as a part of the program because uh, I know you were working on another novel the last time we talked with you a couple of years ago. Uh, and you didn't, I knew you kind of had this book sort of uh, thinking about it and you were kind of uh, toying with the idea and uh, it's, it, it will be out uh, on June the 7th and it's, it's just a wonderful story. Uh, and we'll get to it in just a second. But I wanted to ask you first, uh, after you published Three Fifths, it came out and had all of all of this acclaim, and um, you know it was a finalist for so many awards, all the major crime awards like the like the Lefty and the Edgar and all of that. Uh, you come back with your second book after the lights go out. Uh, as a writer, from a storytelling perspective and a craft perspective, how different was it writing this book uh, as opposed to writing your first book? Did did anything change in terms of your process? how you worked, how you put things together. Was it easier, more difficult the second time around? How did all of that come together in terms of working on book number two as opposed to book one? It was very different, but for different reasons. The, the My first book was actually my thesis for my MFA program. And so my process was sort of dictated by the deadlines of getting portions of the manuscript done for my mentors. And uh, so there was, there was more of a rigid schedule than I usually adopt for writing. Uh, I'm not, I, I am not necessarily an ass in chair or certain word count by everyday writer. I'm, I'm a little bit more by feel, um, which, you know, you can say what you want about that. Maybe it's, maybe I'm not as disciplined as some other writers, but it's, it's a style that works for me. Um, 
So in that sense, it was very different because I was on my own schedule this time. I, I, I wrote when I felt I could and wanted to write. And it was once that I found all the threads and how they were going to pull together in the book that I ended up becoming ass and chair writing every day. But it was because I had to, to get it out, not because I was forcing myself to get a, hit a certain word count every day. It was just, it was flowing that well that I, I couldn't wait to get back to the next session to write more. Um, interestingly enough, though, it didn't, it didn't start that way because I felt um, sort of a, a, a lot of self-imposed pressure to write another crime novel because I hadn't, I hadn't originally written, I didn't know Three Fists was a crime novel until it, <laughs> until it got uh, sort of that kind of um, recognition. And so I thought that this next one had to be that. And I, as I realized as I was writing it, I had no idea where it was going and I didn't know what the character was going to be. It just didn't, it just wasn't working. Um, and I ended up scrapping like 15,000 words, 20,000 words uh, and starting completely over because I knew that this character and the, the progression he needed to take was not a crime story. It was, it was really much more, I mean, I guess it's kind of crime adjacent. There's, there's, there's some noirish aspects to it maybe. Um, so that, that part was very different too. Like actually having to have this realization like, oh, this is not the story I'm trying to tell. Very good. And I want to ask you about throwing away those 15 to 20,000 words. Um, do, do, do you feel like, uh, was there a moment where you thought, oh my goodness, I, I, maybe I don't need to pursue this idea or this character or this storyline because I got 15 or 20,000 words in and it obviously went nowhere? Or did maybe that embolden you to, to, to write the story uh, that you really wanted to tell? Did you ever have a moment of self-doubt where you thought, well, maybe I just need to totally scrap this whole concept and work on something else? Or, or was it more motivating in that way? It was way more motivating. I mean, it was frustrating because uh, in those writing sessions, I did feel like I was just trying to hit a word count. Like I, I, I was, you, you know, after the after the first book, you know, it's out for about five minutes, and then people are asking you when's the next one. And so, you know, there was some of that pressure to to, and again, self imposed. It's not like anybody was unkind about it or anything. I mean, if anything, it's, you get to write the next book. It's exciting. It's not like you have to write the next book. Um, so it was, but, but me being who I am with perfectionism and imposter syndrome, like I wanted to get it done. Um, so when I realized when I got to that 15, 20,000 words and it was like, I, this is, I don't know, this is, this is not a book I wanted to read. And that I think was the moment that turned a corner for me and, and then became inspiring because I said, well, you know, Three Fists was the book I wanted to read. And if I'm going to write a book that I don't want to read, then then what am I doing? So, um, no, it was actually really empowering to go back and say, okay, I know I love this character. I, I want to tell what I think his actual story is. And that's when things just, I mean, everything fell into place uh, as, as cliched as that sounds. Uh, or as impossible as that sounds, but I mean, literally just things just started to drop and just fall into their, their right slots. And I was off to the races. Well, as a reader, I'm so happy it went that way for you uh, the second time around, because you've given us a, a terrific book here that I can't wait to talk with you about. Thank uh, you. You've got a, you got a fantastic protagonist named Xavier Scarecrow Wallace, who's a mixed race MMA fighter who's on the wrong side of 30. He's facing uh, sort of the fight for his life. 
And then you've got sort of a parallel story running on the other side where his father, Sam Wallace, uh, is at the end of his life with end-stage Alzheimer's disease. And we'll talk about how those kind of dovetail in just a minute. But uh, one of the things we learn about uh, Scarecrow as he's going through uh, his story is that he is losing his battle with something called chronic traumatic encephalopathy, uh, or CTE. And I know that has made news recently in the last few years with uh, NFL football players, retired NFL players. Um, and, and after their careers are over, it's, it's discovered that they suffered from this. So, so briefly, what, what is CTE, first of all, and how does it affect Scarecrow in terms of uh, not only what he is experiencing physically, but what it's done to his prospects uh, for being an MMA fighter? Yeah, so, so as you described it, it's, it's chronic traumatic encephalopathy. What it is is repeated injuries to the brain. Um, and what's I, I, I have personal experience with this as from my career as a physical therapist um, and with my wife, who's also an occupational therapist who works in the skilled nursing setting, although hers is not on the sports side. Hers is with more of the Alzheimer's dementia side of things. Um, but it's, it's still... Uh, you know, from my understanding and from what I remember from my time uh, treating concussion patients and, and uh, head trauma patients, it's still relatively poorly understood. I mean, it's, it's still got, um, there's, there's a lot of work being done on it. Um, and to, to your point, it's made a lot of headlines because of that, because it's not just football, it's boxing, it's hockey, it's, it's any of the contact sports. Um, so it, it results in memory loss, it results in uh, emotional fluctuations that can, that can result in uh, rage and suicidal ideations. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it can manifest itself physically in migraines and tinnitus and all of these things that, you know, only the person suffering can feel and hear um, and can't see. And so that, that sort of becomes maddening in and of itself. And so Xavier is experiencing all of these things because he's spent a lifetime in this uh, combat sports. And he's finally getting to the point where the, the, it's, it's, it's either going to be him or the disease. And being that there's no cure for CTE, we know who eventually is going to win out. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to read uh, a couple passages from one of my favorite chapters in the book called Here We Go Again, because... I think this gives us some insight into what we're talking about, kind of what's going on uh, in the thought processes of, of, of Xavier. Um, and I'll just read a couple of the excerpts from this chapter and just have you kind of comment, because I think it sets up kind of not only what he's dealing with, but also kind of what he's uh, experiencing in his life. And, and I love this because we kind of get a first person uh, point of view uh, in this particular chapter. And this starts on uh, page uh, 140 uh, and goes into page 142. So I'll just kind of hop around and read a couple excerpts and then have you uh, give us some insight and context behind it. Uh, you start out by saying, I've got to be honest with you, my guy. I don't get you. It's like you're determined to be this sad sack all the time when, the way I see it, things are finally lined up the way you've always wanted. But it's time to stop holding on to all the things you think you're supposed to be, acting the way you think people want you to, thinking you've got to be this model son for your poor old suffering daddy. And then later on uh, at the end of the chapter, uh, by the way, you ever entertain thoughts of pulling into oncoming traffic again and I'll steer you into the cars my damn self. We're done with that fake whiny shit. Man up. This fight you've got going is going to be your coming out party. We're about to let people see the real you. Open the door to the basement and let us out. 
your pops gave you the keys. So tell us a little bit about, about that and, and what's going on there and just kind of the, the, the battle that, that uh, Scarecrow's got sort of in his mind and going on around him and how everything kind of converges there. So uh, to, I'll backtrack a little bit. The, the, the device that I'm kind of using there was inspired by um, Smith Henderson's 4th of July Creek where he had uh, sort of this second, second person voice that it was never, at least in my reading, it was never entirely clear who that voice was. Um, and it was a technique I loved. I loved that. That's one of my all-time favorite books. I thought that was a fantastic book. Um, and so I thought about how I could make something like that work in this book. And so that the, the voice that you're reading there is sort of Xavier's unfiltered mind. It's sort of who he'd be if his frontal lobe could talk to him or his damaged frontal lobe could talk to him. And so that voice reoccurs throughout the book and, it be, and that voice gets a little louder for him, you know, as the book goes on. Because um, I thought about what it must have been like for some of these athletes that, who ended up with a tragic end. Um, you know, for example, Chris Benoit was a, a, a very famous uh, WWE wrestler who ended up not only killing himself, but his entire family. And I wondered if what, what must have gone on in his mind, what he must have heard, what he must have said to himself, you know? So it, it, that, that is where that sort of character, if you will, kind of came from is sort of what, what must be circulating in their brains when there's all this damage and, and gets them to do these awful things that they would never in life consider themselves capable of doing. Um, and so that's the, that's the point of that narrator there is that he's sort of, he's, he's sort of telling Xavier that who he's been all this time has been a lie, that this voice is who he really is. And now that he's having these uh, revelations about his father, that he doesn't have to pretend anymore, you know, like he can, he can, he can, uh, he can be, the, this animal that he says that his brain tells him that he is and that he can just be this, this quote unquote alpha dog that can, can do whatever he pleases, um, which obviously leads to, to bad ends. Um, so I, I, I hope that answers the question. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that, that was, I just loved that chapter because I, I felt like, you know, we were reading the story and we know uh, just through his conversations and what you write early on that, you know, he's got memory loss, he's got headaches that he's suffering from. He's a little paranoid about different things. Um, but I love that chapter because we finally see, as you said, what, what is he really thinking when he has all these things going on and, and he, ha he tries to hide it or kind of push it back when he's interacting with other people. Now we see the unfiltered, what's going on in his mind and, and, and what must it be like when he's trying to weigh all of these things. And he has these thoughts uh, going into going bouncing around in his mind. I just love that. It was one of my favorite uh, chapters from, from the entire book. Um, so we look at we look at Scarecrow. Uh, he he's been suspended. Uh, he's serving a year long suspension, and he's trying to keep himself in shape despite the fact he's sort of fighting CTE and, and the effects of it. Um, let me ask you two quick questions. What did he get suspended for? And he's got a great relationship with one of my favorite uh, minor characters in the story, Shot, who is a retired champion boxer. So what got uh, Scarecrow suspended? And then who is shot and what role is he playing in terms of trying to get uh, Scarecrow back on track and back into the ring? 
Well, I don't know if I want to answer the first question because no people haven't read it yet. So there's there's a little bit of uh, you know there's I want to I want there to be a little bit of intrigue here, um, but it it, it uh, yeah I, I don't I'm not going to give that one away just because it 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 plays into some of the central conflict of the story I think. But as far as Shot, Shot is his cousin. Uh, Shot's obviously a nickname, um, but he's a cousin who was a who was a professional boxer who had his career taken away from him um, because I describe him as sort of a he was a Jack Johnson like character. He was a he was Jack Johnson was a famous boxer, famous black boxer who uh, angered a lot of white folks because he was very extravagant in his lifestyle that he had accumulated by being a championship boxer. Uh, and so shot, um, unfortunately, uh, pissed off the wrong people and, uh, those wrong people happened to be police and they damaged his eye during a, a traffic stop, which ended up detaching his retina and having it replaced with a glass eye, which effectively ended his career. Um, so shot has, uh, uh, continued to stay in the game by running a gym. Um, and eventually he gets involved with fight fixing because running a gym wasn't paying the bills. Um, and eventually that involvement ends up entangling Xavier in ways he didn't anticipate. Very good. Very good. And I, um, I'm so glad that uh, you, you mentioned that that suspension is tied into the plot. So it's good to just tease the reader a little bit and let them know <laughs> that that's there, but also not, not make them want to read it because uh, right, that, right. that is an interesting part of, of the story that, that's really important. We are speaking with author John Vircher here today on Now Appalachia. He is the author of the terrific new book, After the Lights Go Out. He is an Edgar Anthony and Strand Award nominated author. He's also the author of the outstanding book Three Fifths, which we talked about on the program a couple of years ago. So, uh, John, we'll come back and talk about the book uh, in just a minute. But I want to ask you just a little bit about what you've been up to and, and how you're doing uh, as a writer. My first question in that vein is, if we were to come into your office or if we were to come into your uh, bedroom and look at your nightstand, what books might we see on the to be read or currently reading pile? What are, what are you reading or what, uh, what, what are some books that you've read recently that you just really loved? So it's, it'd be a pretty eclectic mix. Um, so I'm, I'm, I am reading a number of different books right now. I'm, I've, while I've not always been a short story reader, I've gotten into some collections recently. Um, so I'm reading Disha Filial's uh, amazing uh, Secret Lives of Church Ladies. Um, I ha I just received Gabino Iglesias's arc, um, so I'm excited to for his new novel. So I'm excited to dig into that. Um, I'm also reading The Quiet Boy uh, by Ben Winters, which is uh, so far in incredibly captivating. Um, and then I just got in the mail today, based on a recommendation from uh, just a friend, a book called The Last Samurai, not the one related to the terrible Tom Cruise movie. Um, but, uh, it, it sounds just, just from the description, it sounded incredible. So I just picked that up. So, and I, and I don't usually read like multiple books at once. Um, but God, there's just been so much great stuff coming out that it's, if I, if I don't try to read more than one at a time, I'm never going to get through, uh, all the ones that I want to read. So, oh, and I'm also, uh, I just, um, uh, what did I just finish? Uh, Wiley Cash's new one. I just finished that. So oh, yeah. when ghosts come home. 
Yeah, yeah, we, we had Wiley on our, and back in September when that book came out, September of uh, 2021, and yeah, what a wonderful book that was. Oh, it's so um, good. He's and he's, he's terrific. He's oh, great. he he is. Yes, yeah, he absolutely could. He could write a story about anything, and it would be <laughs> fantastic. And and uh, I know what you mean too about uh, you know I, I I'm much like you, and I think we've talked about this before. I, I'm only kind of a one book author at a time. I can only kind of focus on one at a time. But then I feel like if I don't start reading two or three at a time, I'm never going to get through all this good stuff that's coming out. Yeah. Uh, so. So it's it's really great to uh, to see all these great books coming out. Um, I wanted to ask you about um, uh, about you know your writing process. You, you talked a little bit about it uh, early on when we were talking about you know writing uh, uh, the, the second book as opposed to uh, the first book and some of the the process issues there. Um, and I really appreciate you talking about how you had to throw out uh, throw out all of those words. Um, as you think about this being your second book and as you think about, uh, you know, moving on to, to another project, um, what are some goals that you have for yourself as a writer going forward now that you have two books out into the world and, and presumably working on something else? To, are, are there goals that you feel like you, you still want to achieve or there's still some things uh, maybe stylistically or tactically as a writer that you want to try or do uh, as you look ahead to future projects? Yeah, I, I mean, always looking to improve and and maybe even innovate a little bit. Uh, not not in terms of innovate, reinventing the wheel and anything in terms of what's been written, but experimenting with different styles, experimenting with different voice. Um, the the thing that I'm working on now is is it's my first time um, really working in first person, um, and I like it a lot. Um, so yeah, it, it's really just kind of a growth mindset for me. I just I just want the next book to be better than the last. Um, that's, that's really my biggest goal for any of this stuff. Um, you know, if I can, uh, if I can uh, broaden my horizons, I, you know, I've, I've worked on a, a pitch for a graphic novel. I've, um, I've done some TV writing. So the, those are, if I can continue to expand in those directions, that would be, that would be great for me as well. Um, but I'm, I'm really just kind of grateful that I even got to, to publish one book, let alone two. So, if uh, if if I get to publish a third, even better. And if I get to if I get to keep um, living a creative life, then that's that's my ultimate goal, really. We're talking with John Vercher on Now Appalachia. He is the author of the brand new book After the Lights Go Out, featuring uh, Xavier Scarecrow Wallace, who is a mixed race MMA fighter who's on the wrong side of thirty. He's fighting CTE, uh, trying to get back uh, into the ring uh, with the assistance of his cousin Shot. Um, and John, I wanted to go back to the book and, and touch on something we kind of talked about early on, or we said we would get back to early on in our discussion, and, and that is Sam Wallace, who is Scarecrow's father. Uh, we talked about those parallel stories. We've got Scarecrow fighting CTE, but we've also got Sam fighting kind of in-stage Alzheimer's. Uh, in the chapter before the one we looked at, Here We Go Again, um, w- there, was, there was a moment there which really caught my, my attention. Uh, it was, the chapter was Breathe Easy. And one of the things we learn is that uh, uh, Sam Wallace, uh, Scarecrow's father, was white. His mother was black. Uh, There's a moment there where um, uh, Xavier uh, is with his father and his father uses the N-word. Um, and, and, and there's a moment in the book that was one of those moments when I was reading it that I just kind of paused and was like, oh, um, but also uh, it, it's it reveals a lot about kind of the dynamic that Xavier had with his father. And it kind of closes the, the loop of, of why his black uh, mother left the family years ago. Can you talk about that and kind of 
what happens in that moment for Scarecrow when he hears his father use that word in that way, uh, what that does for him and kind of what path that kind of sets him on going forward for the rest of the book. Yeah. So one of the things that Xavier is dealing with as he's watching his own mental state deteriorate is watching his father's and he's been caring for him uh, since the beginning of that. And one of the things that you, you tend to see with Alzheimer's and dementia is, is that uh, for some people, the filters tend to fall away and they say things you wouldn't normally expect them to say. And um, some of those things can be hurtful and even hateful. And so Xavier uh, resented his mother for leaving because she left at a young age, but he didn't really have a grasp on the nuances of why she did. He just had this sense of abandonment and felt that his loyalty was to his father. Um, and it's, he comes to discover that those loyalties can be misguided. And uh, in, in fact, he was sort of blinded by his love for his father, as well as his anger for his mother for leaving, even though as you come to find out later, she was perfectly justified in her leaving and should have left sooner. Um, so it's, you know, I wanted to, to tackle that because one, it's a reality of the disease and a reality of the, the trauma to the brain. Um, but I also wanted to sort of give people insight into both the nuances and the complications of mixed race relationships. They're not always as idyllic as people would like them to believe. Now, I mean, I come from a, a mixed race relationship. I'm in a mixed race relationship. So, you know, we, we've always had open conversations about the, the things that face us as being in mixed race relationships, but that doesn't always happen. And so, you know, people can be together for a long time before they realize that things may not be quite right. And when Xavier is hit with this revelation, it, it sort of turns his world upside down, but it also gets him to realize that he kind of already knew things weren't right with his father and that, and that maybe his mother wasn't wrong for leaving. And it's not until they, you know, get to actually that it's not until later in the book where he actually gets to confront that truth, which not everybody gets to do that. Right. I mean, sometimes you don't get the chance to confront the things that you've done wrong or the things that you've misjudged someone for. Um, so that's that's that. OK, very good. And we do get to see Xavier have a moment of redemption by the time he gets yeah. to the end of the book. And, and I'll have you just kind of set this up for us and set the scene for us. He gets a last-minute, high-profile comeback fight. Mm -hmm. What happens there? The circumstances? How is it set up? Who's involved? And what's at stake for Xavier, for our Scarecrow, if he's able to to, to win? If he's able to get in here and, and ultimately win? Uh, what's at stake for him, and how does all this come about for him? Oh, sorry, I got to figure out how to do this again without spoiling anything. But he so. Yeah, he's offered a, a fight at the end of his suspension. It's a last minute fight, happens very frequently in mixed martial arts. Um, and it's, it's a chance for him to sort of go out on his shield, kind of go out the way he had intended. But his suspension is tied into a debt that he owes Shot. Um, and Shot's involved with some not so nice people. And because of that, his last fight is not as pure as he would like it to be. And he's entangled in a way that um, could literally mean life or death for him uh, as well as shot. 
And so um, without giving it, giving anything away, this, the stakes for that fight um, become more than just about retiring the way you want to retire. It becomes, uh, can I do this in a way that everyone walks away? I wanted to ask you just uh, last question, not really related to the book, but, but about <laughs> MMA in, in general. And I, I was thinking about this because I just finished Eli Cantor's book, uh, uh-huh. his, his brand new book, um, uh, which is set in, in Arkansas. Yeah. just a wonderful book. And um, I was thinking about football. I was thinking about, you know, Friday night lights. I was thinking about varsity blues. I was thinking about all these kind of football esque books and movies we've had come out in the last 10 or 15 years, but we haven't really had anything on, on MMA a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just wanting to get your 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 thoughts on on MMA as a sport. You know, why is it popular? Why is it something that Fox Sports One televises a lot? Uh, you know, what is it about about that sport that you think is is so interesting? Because I imagine, and you've done such a great job with it in this book, but I imagine there's a lot of really rich fodder if someone wanted to kind of uh, uh, do a, do a, a set a story in a fictitious world surrounding that sport. There's a lot of really good opportunity there. But you, just your thoughts on MMA and, and why it's popular. And, and why it seems to be kind of a growing, uh, growing sport that people really get into. I mean, I'm I, I'm very biased when it comes to that. So I, I I mean I'm a I'm a lifelong martial artist. I, I started taekwondo when I was a, a just a freshman in high school, and then uh, I've trained in mixed martial arts and Brazilian jiu jitsu for um, I mean like I said half my life. I I, uh, I competed as an amateur in kickboxing, and I actually even got to do one amateur MMA fight. Um, but having said all that, I was, I was a tourist, you know what I mean? Like I, that, those were, those were personal objectives for me. Um, my livelihood didn't depend on it. I didn't, I didn't sacrifice the way these athletes sacrifice on a daily basis. So it's, but having said that, having been immersed in that world to some extent, um, you know, I, I love the sport. I think it's one of the most exciting sports, uh, you can watch. Uh, I was always a big boxing enthusiast. I, I, I was, my, my roommate and I in college used to be glued to USA Network every Tuesday night for Tuesday night fights. So I, I've just always been a fan of combat sports. But um, because I was a healthcare provider, you know, it was also a bit of a love-hate relationship because I, you know, I knew the cost <laughs> of those of those sports, um, which is why I wanted to write this book. Like, I, you know, to, to your point, there's, there's uh, a lot of other sports have been as you say, rich fodder for, for fiction, but, um, you know, I, there, to me, there has never been like the, at least to my knowledge, because I certainly don't want to offend an author out there if they've written it, but I didn't, there wasn't like the quintessential MMA novel that I knew of. Um, and so again, going back to writing what I wanted to read, I wanted to read, you know, I wanted, to, I wanted to read the fat city for MMA. Um, and so I, I'm, this was my attempt at that. Um, but yeah, I love the sport. I think it's growing because it's exciting. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's scary in some ways. Um, but you know, what sport isn't, I mean, it's, I, I think I made the comparison in the book, you know, that, uh, a fight, uh, a, a cage fight to me is just as scary as a guy getting hit in the open field. Um, you know, when he's, when he's jumping for a catch and he's got it back, his back turned. So, uh, they, they've, they've got the same car crash equivalency for me. Um, so yeah, that's that. That's why MMA, and and that's why I, why I'm so excited about it. So as we finish up with you today, John, and our final moments with you, uh, if anyone wants to get in contact with you to talk to you about uh, the book or about MMA or about 
uh, writing or anything like that, where can they find you? How can they get in contact with you, first of all? And then secondly, when uh, after the lights go out, uh, comes out, where can they get copies? And if they're interested in reading your first book, Three Fifths, where can they get copies of it? Well, to the last thing, always independent bookstores, independent bookstores. Um, use your use your IndieBound, use your your bookshop.org, you know, and support your support your locals. Uh, if you if you don't go in person, use those websites. Um, if you for for either book, um, it's available for pre order through all of those resources. Um, where you can find me, I'm I'm on Twitter and Instagram uh, at at Writes. I'll warn you, my social feeds are boring. All I do is usually <laughs> promote my books. That's about it. Um, I, it's, there's not that much else there. So, uh, but but feel free to stop by if you'd like. Uh, and then my website is the uh, highly original johnvircherauthor.com. Excellent. Very good. Our guest today on the program has been author John Vircher. He's the author of the terrific new novel. It's called After the Lights Go Out, which will be out June the 7th. Uh, so you want to mark that date on your calendar uh, and be sure you pick up a copy of this book. And if you're new to John, uh, please go back and read uh, his outstanding debut novel, Three Fifths, uh, which was nominated for just about every major crime fiction award you could think of, including uh, the Anthony Award, Crime Reads Book Award and and more. Uh, it's a terrific book. This is a terrific book, John. Uh, and I, I wish you all the best with it. I know it's going to do great. It's a terrific story. Uh, about so many things, family and relationships and, and misplaced loyalties, and then uh, ultimately uh, following uh, Xavier Scarecrow Wallace's journey as he tries to uh, redeem himself one last time. So thanks for coming on the program, and thanks for this great book, and all the best of luck to you with it. Thanks a lot, Ellie. We want to take a moment as we finish up on the program here to give a special shout out to our executive producer of the program, as well as our executive producer of all the podcasts that are available here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Her name is Pam Stack. We appreciate all of Pam's work uh, behind the scenes to make sure that these podcasts are possible and available to you each and every time. We also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Well, that is going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. For questions or comments about this program, and to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker, and his books, visit his website at www.elliotparker.com. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.